People are looking for the ruse. They're not looking for the truth. Over time, if you embody that, if you activate that purpose, if you embody it, you are rewarded handsomely. But if you just declare the purpose and don't live it, you're better off declaring nothing. Employees can handle no purpose. If you say, you know what? We're here to just freaking make money and pad my retirement account. That's what you're here for. Deal with it. People go, okay, I know what I'm signing up for. They'd be okay with them. But if you try and make it look like it's this grander cause, when that's really all it is, that's when they punish you. And your best talent quits and leaves and your worst talent quits and stays. So the big question is this, how do small business owners like us grow our business, grow our leadership and develop our teams in a way that allows us to get our products and services out of the world yet still remain profitable? That is the question and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Bradley Hamner and this is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Hey, before we get into today's episode, did you know that Club Capital is the largest accounting and advisory firm for insurance agency owners in the country, providing monthly accounting, CFO services, and tax preparation? Check them out at club.capital. In today's episode of the Club Capital Leadership Podcast, we have Ron Carucci, co-founder and managing partner of Navalent. Navalent works with companies across the country in their organizational health, strategy, leadership development, all things that, quite frankly, I'm pretty passionate about. Ron has a new book coming out. To be honest, it hits the shelves on May 25th. You can begin to pre-order today. I'm going to tell you, after listening to this podcast, you're going to want to go to Amazon and pick it up. Chris, what's a couple of things you picked up on? Bradley, so this is going to be a little bit of a long-winded answer. And I got to say that it's good to be back. But when I was listening to Ron talk and him mentioned the word honesty over and over and essentially how it has empowered him, empower other companies. I really thought about our listeners because while Ron mainly works with large corporations, multi-billion dollar companies, obviously most of our listeners are small business owners in the insurance field. And I got to realizing that when I'm speaking to a lot of the clients, agents that Club Capital works with, Many times I hear the two words, I'm busy all the time. Like I hear that all the time. I'm too busy to do this. I'm too busy to do that. Which one, to be very blunt, like the book, to be honest, it sounds to me like it's lack of priorities. But two, it worries me because of after hearing the data that Ron shares with us about why working so much in the business and not working on the business is so dangerous for a business owner. After hearing all those data points, I think our clients are going to take back their time and be more mindful and thoughtful and objective as far as what they're doing on their business. So without further ado, like I said, long-winded answer, but I'm super excited to get this started. So let's get right into it. Wouldn't it be a great start to 2021 by having more leads in your book of business? Well, that's where our partners at Direct Clicks Inc. come in. Their team's dialed-in approach to running Google ads and online SEO campaigns maximize the quality and the volume of your leads, whether that's for inbound phone calls or even exclusive leads through your website. Direct Clicks Inc. works only with PNC insurance agency owners, so they have thousands of hours creating, A-B split testing, and improving online campaigns specifically for insurance. They also understand why each and every marketing dollar matters in providing true results, low paper clicks, transparency, and attention to detail, all of which is discussed in depth during your monthly review calls. Reach out to the Direct Clicks team at Direct Clicks Inc. 
directclicksinc.com. That's directclicksinc.com and find out how they can make a difference in your approach to generating new business. Ron, welcome to the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Bradley, Chris, great to be with you. Thanks for having me. We're excited to have you. So we're going to be talking about so many different topics today, organizational and industrial psychology strategy, but we always first start with just background and origin stories. So if you can just kind of take people to present time, how did you get to where you are today? I have been in this career for about 35 years, began my career in the arts and realized that I bored too easily and couldn't do the same thing eight times a week. So uh, found out that engaging people in their own story versus just telling great stories was more fun. So made a pivot early in my career, very fortunately, into leadership development and organization development and did that inside big companies for a number of years. And then I found out that telling the truth inside companies has a consequence to it. Ancient wisdom said, you can't be a prophet in your own land. So I learned that if I was going to have to live out my passion for organizations, it was going to have to be by not being part of one. And so I found out that what got me in trouble inside companies got me paid really well outside companies. And so I decided to go the consulting route and went to New York City and spent about eight or nine years with a great firm there. And then from there, a couple of friends and I said, hey, we can go do this on our own. So we left and began Navalent 16 years ago. Wow. So I have to go back to comment you just made because it's going to be a prevailing thought of our conversation today, I think is fascinating. You said the thing that got me in trouble is the thing that got me paid outside. So dig into that a little bit. What does that exactly mean? I was probably naive and I didn't have the most well-honed diplomacy skills in my younger years. And so I had this nasty habit of telling the truth. I assumed I was there to actually help things get better, that my goal and my job was to optimize performance and optimize people's contributions and make things better. And sometimes what that means is requires to first talk about why things aren't better. What's going on today that's preventing things from, or performance from improving. And sometimes leaders don't really mean that they want to hear that. They just want it to get better. They don't want to hear that they have to change to do that. Well, I misunderstood that. And so political savvy was never my forte. And so sometimes I would just sort of blurt things out or say things or what I thought was obvious to people, but wasn't always welcomed. And again, probably some of my earlier skill set wasn't conducive to doing that. <laughs> and then I realized, oh, when Jesus said you can't be a prophet in your own land, he meant it. <laughs> mm. He was being literal. But then when you're a prophet from outside and you come in, you say the same things and suddenly you're a sage. And I thought, well, that's kind of weird, but I can't change the rules. So I might as well just live by them. And so I decided that if being able to say the hard things as an outsider was going to ultimately be more helpful to the organization than trying to say them as an insider, I just go with the flow. You're not part of the political landscape. You're not part of the consequence management processes. You're sort of immune to those things. And so it's sort of expected. And part of what you're doing is really liberating all the voices inside who are also saying the same things, but also not being heard. You know, when I hear you speak, I think of in a way of David Goggins, like in the sense that he's all about like brutal honesty and being completely honest with yourself and how it's not only till you do that, that you're able to actually make progress, but he's brutally, brutally honest with himself. What would you say is like, how can you be brutally honest? Obviously, you might hurt somebody's feelings, but at the same time, like build a relationship with them and have them trust you to lead them or vice versa. You know, one of the lessons I didn't learn early on in my career was that sometimes just because you have an insight of that's true doesn't mean somebody's ready to hear it. 
And so sometimes if the relationship you build with that person can't hold the truth, you don't get to use the truth, right? Because now you're going to weaponize it. And so sometimes I may know something about you, Chris, or realize something about you or your team that's really important, but we're two months away from me being able to build the trust and regard with you and lower your defenses to a place where you're actually ready to hear it. So I've had to learn timing is a really important issue. Now, if you sent me out on behalf of your team to go and actually get data to do a really thorough MRI on your team, well, now I have data, right? So now it's fair game. You've asked for it. But if in the course of our work together, you haven't asked me what I think, I'm not going to presume Chris wants to know he's being a jerk. I don't get to say that. But if I see that you're doing something that's really self-destructive or your team is reacting to you in a way I know you don't intend, I have to make sure there's enough equity in our relationship. And then I have to make sure I have the right skill. Chris, why are you being such a jerk? Is probably not the most helpful thing to hear. But Chris, the meeting I observed you leading your team, it was interesting. Tell me what you were trying to accomplish in that meeting. And first, at least hear what your intent was. I was trying to empower them around a hard decision. Okay, how do you think it went? Because here's my observations of the team and what I heard them talking about in the hall afterwards. So what do you make of the gap? And my job is not to tell you what's wrong with you or how to fix what the problem is. I'm simply being a mirror saying, here's what I'm seeing. Now, if you and I have a great bromance going on and we go back years, different game, right? Now it's a, Chris, what was that meeting about? What did you think was happening there? Did you not see the team? Was You lost them? You know, different relationship, right? But I have to gauge the strength of what's between us relative to the strength of what I have to say and how it's going to land with you and make sure those things match. So you answered a little bit of the question I was going to ask, but I do want to ask this is, can you be too honest? And is it really just more timing? Because I mean, we've talked about like, well, sometimes things are better left unsaid. Is that true? Or should we say in our organizations, or does it have to do with timing and the equity that we've built in the relationships? I think I'm more concerned when people decide it shouldn't be said because it's more comforting for them not to say it. I think you have to ask yourself, what's the motivation to say it? And what's the motivation not to say it? And be honest with yourself around just because it's hard to say doesn't mean it shouldn't be said. Are you wanting to say it in the interest of the person you're speaking to? Or is it meeting some media room to say it or not say it? Is it going to make you feel better or smarter or insightful or a gotcha for saying it? In which case, you shouldn't say it. Is it an issue of timing? Is it it should be said, but it shouldn't be said now? Mm-hmm. Or is it that it's better if someone else has it and not me? I think there are hard choices, but I think it first requires being a little bit self-honest on what will you base your decision. In organizations, have you felt like that oftentimes whenever you come in, that really what you're doing, I'm curious about this because I don't know, so I don't want to assume too much, but is it, are you taking the implicit, what's not being said, and just making it explicit? Or is it saying something that people are just not thinking in their heads, typically, either in the boardroom that you're working with an organization in? So I'm just curious if it's taking the implicit, explicit, or if it's saying something that has not been said at all. Maybe both, right? It may be that everybody else is seeing it, but no one's saying it. So it is making the implicit, explicit, but it's never been said. I mean, our diagnostic reports in our firm are some of the most forensic MRIs organizations ever received. We bring back 80, 90 pages of a very well-crafted story, and it's every word we hear. So these things get read like a novel, because this is the first time you are hearing and having access to the voices of your people in ways you would never have access to. But now it's out there, right? So now it's imprinting in black, and you have to own it, make sense of it. You can't push it away. And you know These are the voices you pushed out of the room for a long time. We put them back in the room. Now the question is, why is there dissonance among some of these voices? Why are they saying what they're saying? And what meaning do you make of it? 
the ancient wisdom that says the truth will set you free. Well, the truth won't set you free if you don't tell it. I'm curious to, as far as like the kind of companies that approach you and when they approach you, like what problems are they typically facing? And what would you say are like some things that I guess like you do to start working on it besides the analysis that you mentioned? Well, so, I mean, a lot of times companies will call or leaders will call when they're in some kind of pain. And sometimes it's about a year too late, but it'll be some symptom. It'll be, we're slow and we can't get decisions made quickly, or we're losing market share, or we have lots of turnover because our people don't like our culture, or we're strategically all over the map. We don't know who we are. We lost focus. Or our leaders are not being able to step up and lead and they're just bottlenecking things from happening. They'll usually call with some narrow symptom that it's simply like, I have a pain in my chest. Yeah, because you have stage four lung cancer. Or my hip hurts. Yeah, it's because you're grinding bone on bone, you need replacement, right? And so they're seeing the tip of the iceberg, but the pain appeared years ago and you just were in denial about it. And so our diagnosis has to reveal, because they'll often call naming the problem as a solution. The problem is we just need faster leaders. Or the problem is we haven't communicated our strategy well enough. No, the problem is actually that you haven't got a strategy. The problem is our culture doesn't value entrepreneurialism. No, the problem is your culture is toxic and it discourages anybody from doing anything creative, mm -hmm. right? So typically the higher up in elevation you go, the more removed you are from the real pain. So it's, these are anecdotal data. This is your own back of the armchair guessing. It's not really a thorough diagnosis. And so having brought the diagnosis, having brought a very comprehensive look at, here's what's actually going on in your organization, then we can make some choices around how to fix it, right? Is your organization not built to do what you need to do? Do the leaders you have, are they not equipped and not prepared to lead what you need them to lead? Is your strategy too diffuse? Have you overreached or did you obsolete when your market share took a long time ago and you stayed competing in a market that died or you had competitors leapfrog you and you didn't see it and now you're slowly eroding share? It could be a strategic competitive issue, a strategic clarity issue. It can be an organization design issue or a culture issue. It can be a leadership issue. And we see those as one thing. We call it within, between, among. Within leaders, between parts of your organization, and among systemically your organization, culturally, your governance. You can't fix one without implications for another, right? You cannot put a new hip in and not do physical therapy on your other leg. You can't get chemotherapy in your lungs without learning how to breathe through your nose and make sure your upper respiratory works right? Organizations are like bodies or systems and they have to work systemically. And so you can't tweak one part of it without understanding the implications for another part of it. Unfortunately, most people treat their organizations like the people who get way too much cosmetic surgery. And then they wind up looking like that person that's had way too many nips and tucks. But so by the time we arrive, they've done new values. They've done technology training. They've done a new ERP system. They've done a new performance management system. They've done new values. They've nipped and tucked the place to death. And now it's unrecognizable as a coherent organization. And so sometimes you have to unpack all that to get to the place where it's like when you move into a new house and there's like nine layers of wallpaper on the wall and you just can't get what you have to sort of strip it down to the studs and start over because it's just got too much gunk on it. When I hear you speak, the one sentence that comes to mind is that truth is a two-way street. And as I'm hearing you speak, I'm picturing your team going into a company and interviewing people and whatnot. But I feel like some questions that you might be asking are questions that make you feel vulnerable. Like, how do you make people feel like it's safe to speak with you and to trust you to not go to management? And that so what's really interesting, Chris, is that in 35 years, I've had maybe one or two places where I had to convince somebody it was safe. And mostly because it wasn't about me. It was because I was so terrified of their boss. 
But we're like the priest. I get into a room with somebody and I go, and it's like, before I even finish my sentence, this stuff is so pent up. I can't take notes fast enough. So I think people trust that this is going to be a safe process and they're dying to talk about it. And they have nobody inside. Well, they have the people in the back channels on the hallways they chit chat with, but there's no productive, safe forum in which these things can be shared. It was one of the most baffling parts of my work is that why will they tell a stranger these things, but not tell each other when it matters most? In fact, one of the opening stories in my new book, to be honest, is about this very thing. I was sitting in a meeting with the head of strategy for a $30 billion food company, and they had just had gone through a terribly failed merger. It was a disaster. And he said to me, you know, Ron, if we're honest, that was my clue, right? If we're honest, we knew the whole time it was going to fail. We wanted it to succeed, but we knew we were outside our depths. We knew that we didn't fit the category of that food company. We knew that we didn't have the ability to make it successful, but we were grasping at straws. We're so desperate because we've lost our own identity. We're just grasping at anything to make it work. But we knew it was going to fail. I probably heard stuff like that for decades, but I thought, oh my gosh, why, when the stakes were the highest, could they not tell each other that? When there were billions of dollars at stake, but why could they tell me so freely? It made no sense to me, but that's one of the earliest impetuses writing this book going, why is that the case? Why is it that when there's so much at stake, is telling the truth so hard? Are you an agency owner looking to grow your revenue and increase your bottom line? Club Capital is here to help. Built for agents by agents, so we know your struggles. With accounting, payroll, and HR solutions, tax services, analytics, and more, Let's get you on the path to serious success. Using data-driven insights, you'll grow your business based on revenue and expense comparisons alongside your top performing peers. With over $100 million in tracked annual revenue and $70 million in tracked annual expenses, we have the data to help you make better informed decisions for your agency. Let's make your back office less of a hassle and more of the strategic generator that powers the growth to take your agency and your leadership to the next level. Visit club.capital today to book your complimentary, no obligation demo. Club Capital, way more than a CPA firm. There's a book you may have read, Willpower Doesn't Work by Benjamin Hardy. And in that book, he talks about environmental conditions and he's talking about organizational environmental. What are the organizational conditions that effectively compel? In preparing for this interview, I read this and I'm fascinated to ask this question. What are the organizational conditions that basically compel leadership and even employees to effectively choose to not be honest, in some cases, dishonesty and self-interest over speaking the truth? Because like what you just said, the stakes were the highest. We're not talking about $100. We're not talking about $10,000. We're talking about millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. Billions. Billions of dollars. And they cannot say what needs to be said, kind of back to the implicit book. What are the conditions that you typically see? This is where I think big business and small business, there's correlation. Because if you have a toxic environment, you have a toxic environment. If the leader can't be honest to the team members, he can't be honest to the team members. It doesn't matter how big the company is. But what are those conditions that you typically see? There are four, and these are backed by 15 years of research. So the first one is what we call strategic identity. Be who you say you are. So you have a strategy, you have values, you have a purpose statement. If those words are matched by actions as experienced by your employees, you are three times more likely to have people tell the truth, behave fairly, and serve a greater good. Mm. But if those words are cosmetic, they're on the wall, but something else happens in the room, 
Now you've institutionalized duplicity. You've said at our company, we say one thing and do another. Now you're three times more likely to have people like, cheat, and be self-interested. The second was accountability. If your accountability processes are seen as fair, meaning they have dignity in them and they're just, meaning the playing field is level for everybody to succeed. And the way I believe you are measuring my contribution is actually fair. You're now four times more likely to have people tell the truth, behave fairly, and serve a greater good. Honesty in the book is defined as truth, justice, and purpose. Say the right thing, do the right thing, and say and do the right thing for the right reason. But if your accountability processes are seen as unfair, meaning I'm not getting a fair shake, I'm not getting the same opportunities as somebody else, someone else is privileged over me, or I feel like what you're saying about my work is inaccurate, I now have to embellish my accomplishments, cover up my mistakes, and now you're four times more likely to have people lie, cheat, and be self-interested. The third was governance, the way decisions are made. Is there transparency? So if I'm sitting in the room, is what's happening in the room an honest exchange of information? Are the decisions transparent and can I trust them? I don't have to agree with them, but can I trust them? Or is what's happening in the room orchestrated theater? It's all a ruse. The decisions, you made this decision outside the room a long time ago, or no one knows what's going on. If governance is transparent and decisions are reliable, you're three and a half times more likely to have people tell the truth, behave fairly, and serve a greater good. But if the only way I can get information to make decisions is underground or in gossip or collusion, now you're three and a half times more likely to have people lie, cheat, and be selfish. The last one was rivalry, cross-functional, the seams of an organization, right? So if there are border wars, if there are sales and marketing, supply chain and operations of all the typical places where there are typically conflicts, if those conflicts remain unresolved, we now fragment the organization, which means we have dueling truths. And if it's my truth versus your truth, now I gotta be right, you gotta be wrong. When that's the case, this was the largest factor. Now you're six times more likely to have people lie, cheat, and be selfish. But if you stitch those seams, if there's coherence in your organization, if people understand that there's no we's and they's here, we're all a we, and we're all here to serve a greater good together, when that's the case, now you're six times more likely to have people tell the truth, behave fairly, and serve a greater good. So those are the four conditions. Strategic clarity, accountability, governance, and unity. Here's the interesting thing about these are statistical models. They're cumulative. So if you suck at all of them, you are 16 times more likely to end up in a headline and a story you never wanted to be in. Wow. Wow. We've done this podcast for a while now and had a lot of guests in culture, toxic cultures, great cultures has come up a number of times. I have not heard any more succinct way to think about what a bad culture looks like, but then also what a great culture looks like than what you just clearly defined in those four strategic identity, accountability, governance, and rivalry. I love that. That is in phenomenal. And then backed by research. And you were sharing with me before we started the podcast, what, three years of research. And I don't know how many. Well, it's hours. A 15, so the research was a 15 year study. So it's 15 years of data with 3,200 interviews we did with leaders. The last three years, we just consolidated it all into the data and getting ready to publish in the book. But the study was a 15 year study. That's incredible. So I have to ask, now knowing that, what is a tangible, somebody is listening to this podcast right now and their culture in their office is toxic period. It is not what it needs to be. There's bickering. It's unfair. Performance evaluations are, quite frankly, a joke. The leader picks favorites. He and she knows who the favorites are. The team knows it. Everybody's talking about things except to the person that needs to know it. The leader knows it. What's the first step that they need to take? Well, so like in any process of recovery, what's step one? Admit you have a problem. Ask yourself, what story are you telling yourself about why it's not a big deal? Because you're telling yourself some story, some narrative is telling you, well, that's any company or look, the work's getting done. I can't be a babysitter here. 
just write down what is the narrative you have crafted to make all that okay. Because if you can't rescript that narrative to, pardon my French, oh shit, this is terrible, I should fix it, then you won't be any good. So where's your denial and what have you told yourself? Two, how have you created it? Because whether it's, it's more than just you condoned it, something you're doing is making all that okay, especially for the leader. So get a 360, get some data, get some feedback, get your own MRI on what it is you're doing, maybe inadvertently, maybe unwittingly, to enable all that stuff to keep going. Repent, bring people in the room and say, you know what, guys, I let this go on too long. I'm sorry. Let's start by understanding the gap between, you know, so somewhere on your wall, you have a value set, somewhere on your wall, you have a purpose or a mission statement or something you've said about yourselves that's on the screensaver on your screen or it's on your website. Put that in the room and say, guys, I know you probably want to roll your eyes when you read this stuff, but it still matters. And it might take us years, but I want us to be able to make these statements true in how we experience each other and this company. So I want to start by an honest conversation. And if we have to start anonymously because you don't feel safe, that's fine. I want to understand where are the places we are so far from these words and start figuring out how to close that gap. Start there. As I was hearing you speak, I was thinking of about the $35 billion company that you were working with. Most of our clients that, or most of our listeners, I should say, are insurance who probably have anywhere from maybe four to 10 employees. Do you see pretty much the same problems being faced by super small businesses and, of course, these large corporations? And if so, the exact same exercise that you just went through, would you recommend us? Absolutely. So much as we white guys want to think it's true, size does not matter. And the reality is that, took you a minute there, Chris, you can have <laughs> toxins in a 10-person team as you can in a 10,000-person team right? They show up faster. It, what the danger in a small company is you have no margin for error. There's no... Big companies have places where they, they can absorb this stuff. It's a cultural body blow. It can get absorbed into the whatever. And so it's not quite so disorienting. You have one person come in like a jerk and a 10-person team, everybody knows it and it happens within 10 minutes. And so you better take it more seriously if you're smaller because you get one person quit, you're screwed. So every company is going to have jerks, but the smaller you are, the less you can afford them, especially if you're the jerk. And so whether it's bringing their words off the wall or just having a candid conversation or, or getting some anonymous data, those four, five, seven, eight, those people, that's your company. And they are representing you and they're paying your paycheck and you're out presumably selling things that help their paycheck. If you are not checking on the health of that organization on a regular basis, it's like, a, are you driving with the engine light on for a long time thinking it's going to go away? So you may be so small. The biggest challenge I see with small entrepreneurs is that they're so busy working in the company, they take no time to work on the company. And if you are not taking the time to prevent the check engine light, listen, if you have not done a health check on your company, there are check engine lights everywhere you're just not seeing. No company, no matter how much people love you or endeared to you or think you're Santa Claus, goes along for a long period of time without checking the health of how it's doing. And you should want to check in, even if you think things are great. Even if they are great, somewhere there's a place you can be better. So when you say check the health like of the company, can you give us a tip of an actual practice that somebody can implement to check the health of their company? Like is it surveys? There is are, it... Yeah, there are gazillions of surveys out there, off-the-shelf engagement surveys. Have somebody come in, do interviews for you and get data. Talk to your customers, get their feedback. Talk to your suppliers and partners, get it through. You should want to know from every angle of your business, your employees, your suppliers, your customers, you should want to, how is everybody doing? And how am I doing? 
There are plenty of ways to do it, but get the data and at least annually, if not twice annually, get data, get feedback. Maybe do it once in a big format and do it informally throughout the year. And There's just that. make sure that your intentions and your actions are matching. Yeah, Gusto has, if you're a Club Capital client with Gusto, they have a payroll provider. They have the ability, many of our listeners use Gusto for their payroll. They have the ability to embed every single month, send out a survey, and it's usually five or six questions, anonymous, and it sends it back over to the agency owner or leader, some of those results. And I have to tell you, even in those four to five questions every month, the insight that you gain into the health of your organization is incredibly profound if you've cultivated the right. But even that, if the organizational health, do you feel like that even in some of those surveys, if they're anonymous, that some people will even fib something to say, well, this is what he or she wants to hear. So we'll just answer it this way. But I really want to answer it this other way. You know, I think most survey bias most psychometrics would say that people are not typically going to lie for that reason. They may lie because they don't want to hurt your feelings, but they're not usually going to lie out of fear retribution. And if you don't ask for any demographics, you'll be fine. And with five people, you don't need demographics. So there should be no reason why. Now, presumably you have a third party person processing the survey and all that kind of stuff. So it's fair. But if people game the survey or tell you some indicate that like if you have five people and three don't fill it out, that's data. That's feedback. That's telling you either they don't care or don't think you care or don't feel it's safe. So whether you get the data on a survey or not, you got the data. That's a good point. I've heard it said that people would rather follow a leader who is always real than one who is always right. A lot of one doesn't exist, right? So it's really the leader who thinks they're always right. And by default, is not being real because they clearly suffer from a deep sense of imposter syndrome if they feel they have to look right all the time. People can handle your mistakes. Your humanity, your flaws, your vulnerability is your greatest source of credibility as a leader. If you are trying to cover it up, you are just diluting people's ability to trust you. That is so profound. There's a company in town that uses basically mission-driven, and I've heard purpose-driven. And a lot of times companies will throw that out there because that sounds good. They're, they're doing it out there because it sounds good. And they're not living up to what you said earlier. They're not being congruent with the things that they say that they're about. So whether it's core values, I mean, like you said, they go through, let's reorientate our core values. Let's redo our core values. When the reality is, they're just not living up to the thing that they said that they actually want to do is what you're saying. We call that purpose washing. So my goal is to make it look like I'm living by a purpose because purpose is the big thing now. Purpose-driven brands, purpose-driven whatever. And we know all the data suggests that those brands outperform regular brands. Those True purpose-driven companies outperform on stock indices, on margin, on revenue, on growth per share. They're all that way. So we all want the benefits, but we just want to create the illusion of the work. We don't want to do the real work to be purpose-driven. The problem is when you do that, purpose-washing backfires because people expect you to purpose-wash. So if you put in your purpose statement, you know, we're here for the greater good and serve the environment and blah, whatever it is. You know, we care about our neighborhoods and communities which we serve and we care. Blah. The minute... People see a gap in it. People go, see, I knew it. People are looking for the ruse. They're not looking for the truth. Over time, if you embody that, if you activate that purpose, if you embody it, you are rewarded handsomely. But if you just declare the purpose and don't live it, you're better off declaring nothing. Employees can handle no purpose. If you say, you know what? We're here to just freaking make money and pad my retirement account. That's what you're here for. Deal with it. People go, okay, I know what I'm signing up for. They may be okay with them. But if you try and make it look like it's this grander cause when that's really all it is. 
that's when they punish you. And your best talent quits and leaves and your worst talent quits and stays. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's so good. Because you're right. Ultimately, what they'll do is you're saying that companies, and I'm sure you've worked with big companies, Fortune 500 companies that have created this purpose-driven mentality as a sales strategy. Oh, gosh. It's marketing. It's all marketing, right? Purpose wash the brand. So now we're adding pictures of people in communities we're serving and dealing with food banks. And we're, we're doing TV commercials telling how many people during the pandemic we helped. And at some point, that's all going to come out in the wash. Either you're true to it and that's really who you are, or you're not. It's fine if you want to tell people that's who you are, but it's better if you actually tell them who you are and you actually be who you say you are. Because here's the danger. Look, we all show up to work every single day needing to know that we matter. We all want to feel significant. We all want to know that our contributions make a difference. Nobody gets up out of bed in the morning going, gee, I wonder what I can do today and feel bored. Mm. Or I hope I feel useless today. They want to know they matter. And creating a purpose-driven environment allows people to discover the best versions of themselves and be purposeful. But if I decide I don't feel purposeful today, I give in to my second greatest need to look like I matter. And now I'm going to invest all my energy in making sure it looks like I have purpose or looks like I matter which means you get the worst versions of people then because now it's all about just as you're perpetuating illusion of purpose, they're perpetuating the illusion of their indispensability to you. They're going to lie to you. They're going to tell you what you want to hear. They're going to undermine and throw their colleagues under the bus. They're going to embellish their work. They're going to be opportunistic. All in the service of looking like they matter. I cannot wait to read your book. It comes out May 21st of this year, so just a few months away. I do want to know, can you tell us a little bit about the story of Hubert Jolly and Best Buy going from effectively bankruptcy to now, obviously, Best Buy is profitable, it's doing well, and to what we were just talking about, purposeful. Can you give us a little yeah. bit of a snippet so of that? I'll give you, yes, absolutely. And please put the link in your show notes, and please, guys, if you want to help the cause, pre-orders are everything. It's tragic that what determines a book's success is its pre-orders, but it's like almost disproportionately literal. Like post May 21st will be determined by everything before then. So please awesome. add three to your cart. If you have a bulk purchase, I'll give you a free keynote. So anyway, so Hubert Jolie is an incredible leader. And in fact, we have, we're launching a new TV show next week called Moments of Truth. It's a news magazine show. And basically it's all the heroes from the book. So you'll get to watch the video, the interviews I did for the book. And Hubert is the opening episode. I mean, he's just an incredible leader. His new book, The Heart of Business, comes out in a few months too, telling the story. But he inherited a mess. I mean, retail electronics, who wants to be in that business, right? Amazon was eating their lunch. Yeah. He discovered a mess. He discovered people with 40, 50 KPIs. He would sit in the stores and watch people come in to the store, say, spend half an hour and leave with nothing, mm. right? Probably some of them were on Amazon in the store, ordering from Amazon. He just listened. What he wanted to do was just rehumanize the place. They did these incredible series of workshops called At Our Best. When are we at our best? And he said, I just want you to be human. When you're on the floor with a customer who has a problem, don't go after their wallets. Think of them as your grandmother. Think of them as your best friend. Just be human. Be helpful. And he turned the culture into this incredible purpose-driven place. They launched these incredible things called Team Tech Centers. Their whole purpose was to enrich lives through technology. And he declared to his shareholders in the beginning, we will do well by doing good. And so in all the communities they serve in inner cities to make the level playing playing field level for inner city kids who are underprivileged, to, you know, people of color, there's these teen tech centers where kids that come in and learn technology, get free training, get free access to tools and technology, and enhance their ability to go to college and go to school and learn. The people in the stores have the rights to sort of, you have store managers saying to people, what's your dream? Go right in the break room wall, I'm going to help you realize it. Like they've created this environment where people just want to help everybody succeed themselves and their customers. 
now being part of the Geek Squad, it's a badge of honor. Yeah. And it took them seven years. They hit their 2020 revenue goals two years early. The stock price went from like around $11 a share to almost near $100 a share before he left. And he was just good hearted about it. If you watch the, the interview with him, you'll see he's just the most humble, joyful, caring man who had no tolerance for bullshit. Like he just, some of the things were just like, this is, why are we doing this? This is silly. And he just not do it anymore. And remember, he inherited the company from the founder. So that's no easy thing to pull off either. But he did it with amazing grace and humility and determination. It's an incredible story. But he lived the whole, in one of his shareholder letters, I quoted him in the book saying, the magic happens. And that's the word he uses. The magic happens when you connect an individual purpose to a company purpose in an authentic and real way. And when well, you activate that, you set people loose. I was probably four months ago or so, four to five months ago, I was purchasing quite a bit of equipment. In fact, the camera that I'm using right now, the Sony camera, the lens, a lot of the cords, et cetera. I bought it all from Best Buy. And I have to tell you, I never thought about it until right now, but the experience that I had in that Best Buy with one particular associate was incredible. And now hearing you say this to say to me, because he treated me like a human, it was, now you almost honestly talked too much. You know, I was kind of ready to get in and get out, but and every time I came back, because I ended up buying the wrong things and coming back, he was asking me how that was going and what we were doing with it. How's that working, et cetera. There was a genuineness. And of course, I thought about it from the perspective of that person. And I'm sure a lot of it was. But now knowing that there's conditions right organizationally at the highest level to allow that person to be themselves and yep. to be free. This particular person loved cameras, just geeked out on cameras and was telling me more about cameras I really cared to know. But it wasn't based on sales. This is a $600 lens that I'm using on this thing. So, I mean, ultimately, I spent $4,000 in Best Buy or, or something like that. So, anyway, I think that's an incredible story. Yep. And if you had to buy a more technical, would you go back? Oh, 100%. Right? 100%. Wouldn't even think about it. And that's the magic. But that's what he did. The thing that was really inspiring to write, to be honest, was it's a book of heroes. I didn't want to write about the villains anymore. We've heard enough about them. We've heard enough about Volkswagen and Theranos and Wells Fargo. We're done. I don't need to hear those stories anymore. I wanted to write about the people who we want to emulate. Who's doing this right? Who are the heroes we can cheer on and go, I want to be like that. And I found them out. They came out of the woodwork. Honest to God, those 12 weeks of just writing was nothing but an incredible, like losing my breath. My heart was beating fast the whole time to be in the presence of these heroes. And some of them are, I did, they're not all business stories. Some of them come from the most unlikely, but I found two guys came out of rivaling gangs in LA to start a business together. People who should have hated each other. That shows what it means to make your they's part of your we's, right? Jacinda Ardern, the prime minister of New Zealand and how she handled the pandemic. Brian Stevenson and his work in Alabama, in your hometown, right? The EJI, incredible story. So these are the people whose stories I get to curate along with some great business icons as well. But I want people to walk away from this book going, I want to be like them. And that was the thrilling part of writing it was to be in the presence of people you just are in awe of and you want to be like. You know what? I cannot wait to read the book. Just a quick sidebar and fun fact about me. I actually used to work at a Best Buy being the exact same sales associate that Bradley would have spoken to. So I was part of this initiative, like literally when it was very, very infant, where Best Buy essentially wanted to have like stores within the store. Yep. And they started out with the camera department, and they called it the customer experience shop or something like that. It was called like the CES. And I represented Nikon actually at the time, but ironically, I had a Sony camera because I just really liked them. Anyway, I actually did get a chance to actually meet the CEO when he was in Miami. And I got to tell you, I mean, charisma is 
me selling him short, like me saying that he was charismatic and like a true leader would be like me saying that, I don't know, water sweat. Uh, So I'm super, super pumped to check the book out, especially because it's like, from what I'm hearing, you know, from people from all walks of life and how they're leveraging honesty to get things done. Yeah, it's a book of stories. It's a fun read. It's got incredible research and data in it. I want people from the very beginning to feel like they're on a roller coaster and a thrill ride to watch the presence of people. You think I would give my eye teeth to work for that person. Every one of the people in this book are people I would hire to be my boss. I was just about to say the words that were coming out of my mouth was honestly. And it's so funny that the book is to be honest. It's hard though, because thousands of times a day, people say the title of the book, right? They do. (laughs) Because we're always qualifying our honesty. Well, to be honest. A friend of mine, one day, this was about two years ago, I was telling him something. I don't even know what it was about. And I said, to be honest, he stopped me. He said, well, yeah, please don't lie to me. But think about, I start all my keynotes with the same list of qualifiers. Well, to be frank, well, maybe blunt. Well, to be honest, well, can I be blunt with you? Can I be direct? I have to be direct. Scout's honor. I'm above his grave. We have endless lists of qualifiers to make sure you know that what I'm about to say is the truth. Well, what does that make everything you said before that? And why do we feel the need to make sure we signal to somebody, to virtue signal, that this is really important to me? I think it's weird. And most psychologists would say that it's because you're not confident that it's actually true. You're so right about the books, though, that there's so many books and headlines and news stories out there that are clickbait from a news or online, and it's all negative. It's all negative. And so to actually be able to hear and say, no, 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 let me share with you some of the stories that you're not hearing on the news, because I'm sure he's not being publicized in the Wall Street Journal. I mean, maybe from a stock price perspective, but let me share with you some of the stories that are going around the country that you may not be aware of. And so anyway, I just want to thank you for yeah. doing that and coming at it from that perspective. All right, you ready for the world famous E9 rapid fire questions? Let's go. Last book you read. The Daily Stoic by Ryan Holiday. Check this out. Hang on. <laughs> on my death. We're like brothers. We have some lot in common here. Best Buy, Stoicism. Okay. We're probably cousins. Ferretti, Carucci, come on. Like the parallels are right there, you know? This was going to be a super easy one for you. What book would you recommend the most to others? David White's book, Crossing the Unknown Sea. The subtitle is Work as a Pilgrimage of Life. Incredible book. All right, I'm going to read that. I haven't heard that one before. I just ordered your book yesterday on pre-order, so that one's coming, so I'm going to order this one. Bless Uh, you. If there was a movie made about Ron's life, who would play you in that movie and why? (laughs) Besides Tom Cruise. Uh, I was going to say Tom Hanks. (laughs) Tom Hanks is one of those guys you want to be like. What's your favorite tech tool or app that you use? And I like OpenTable to make reservations. I'm not tech sophisticated. (laughs) Once we're able to fly again, hopefully fly around the country sooner than later, maybe fly around the world. Who would you most love to sit next to on a 10 hour flight and why? Brene Brown. Oh my Uh, God. Just because it's Brene Brown. (laughs) Yeah, she's great. I don't need a reason, do I? (laughs) No, not at all. I'm huge into mental health and whatnot. And just reading the stuff that she puts out is incredible. So yeah, yeah, that was a very uh, gut reaction of me. Fill in the blank. 10 years ago, I had no idea that this would be so hard. Learning to be a thought leader. Learning to actually sell myself through content. Place that you really would want to visit whenever we can again. Anywhere in the world. Tahiti. What's one thing that you learned during the pandemic? How to do laundry. (laughs) (laughs) How to use DoorDash and Grubhub. How to self-care. How to make sure I prioritize my own health amidst 8,000 Zoom calls a day. 
It is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. After all, what is the best piece of leadership advice you've ever received? Nothing in life is irrevocable except death. That's a mic drop. Ron, people want to find out more about you, your work, the other content you've put out, obviously where to find the book. What's the best place for them to go and find out more about you? Come to my website, Navalent, N-A-V-A-L-E-N-T.com. We've got great white papers, videos, eBooks you can download for free, great blogs and articles on leadership and organizations, teams, tons of treasure trove of content. If you want to learn more about the book, it's on website, tobehonest.net. And please follow me on LinkedIn and please follow me on Twitter. Ron, this has been great. I've enjoyed so much just kind of learning more about you over the last couple of weeks. And it has been an honor to have you on the podcast and can't wait and much success uh, to you and the team and much success for you on the book uh, launch here in a couple of months. Gentlemen, a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Appreciate your work. Thank you for coming. Take care. Man, to say that that podcast was one of my favorite would be a huge understatement. I think the part that I really like the most is Ron's focus on data and honesty. Honesty is awareness at the end of the day and how he emphasizes that just like addiction, anytime that you have a problem within your company is to first accept it. And you can go as far as pinpointing that problem by empowering your team to actually tell you what's going on within the company. But obviously that puts people in very vulnerable places. So for people who are Club Capital clients or for people who are Gusto clients, I would 100% recommend that they utilize the insights feature that it offers because it's truly going to let you know the health of your business from many perspectives. You can choose to get feedback on management, on the employee culture, on many other aspects. And if you're not using Club Capital or Gusto, definitely use something to get feedback because it's only when you have feedback from your team that's anonymous, that way they don't feel vulnerable. That's when you truly understand how the team feels about you. And of course, people is the single largest asset that a business has, especially a small business. So the one thing that I walked away with is use data and be honest with yourself. What about you, Bradley? You know, we say on this podcast, grow your business, grow your leadership, grow and develop your team. And you have to be intentional about that. There has to be a definiteness of purpose. And as I said on the podcast, there are several people listening to this that may have their culture is not where they want it to be. They may have a toxic culture. And so whenever he went over those four items, strategic identity, accountability, governance, and rivalry, I just thought that that was incredibly interesting to me. And then he went into some of the things you just mentioned about admitting it. How have you been a part of creating it? Kind of almost looking inward first about what you've done or haven't done to create what the culture is today. And then he said, repent, go into your team. And instead of pointing fingers, actually say, hey, it's my responsibility. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, it is. If you're listening to this podcast, you're somebody who wants to grow and you're a leader. And so looking out and seeking out ways for you to be a better leader helps you to grow your business. Because when the leader gets better, I do believe everybody gets better. But that takes a lot of self-awareness. And sometimes that self-awareness needs to come from the outside for other people to identify. So him saying, like you were saying about Gusto earlier, and then also just investing in a 360 degree review. If you don't know what that is, just Google 360 review and you can see that. But that takes a very humble leader who is saying, I want to grow. I want to get better. And so I'm willing to kind of hear some of these things that I don't want to hear. 
And a lot of people just don't want to do that, quite frankly. They would rather just live under a rock. And so if you want to know more about how they have helped some of the biggest companies, I mean, they've worked with Microsoft and Chick-fil-A and Starbucks and Hallmark and these huge companies. And sometimes working with these big Fortune 500 companies can feel so distant from the small businesses that we all are. But there are some things that transfer over. If you have a toxic culture, you have a toxic culture. If people won't say what they need to say, they're not going to say what they need to say. And I thought he even really articulated that to say, you know what? When you're smaller, the stakes get higher. The stakes get higher for your business. And I think that's so true. And so if you want your business to grow, you've got to get better. Maybe some of the ways for you to get better is to see some of your blind spots and take the time and invest in these type of reviews so that you can learn more about yourself. If you want to learn more about them, go to Navalent, Navalent.com, N-A-V-A-L-E-N-T, Navalent.com. And then his book, I truly did buy the book yesterday on pre-order. So if you want to learn more about the book, go to tobehonest.net, tobehonest.net. It was a pleasure having Ron on and just getting to know him. And hopefully we can have him back on in the future. I thought he was a pretty fascinating guest. As we said, you're wanting to grow your business and grow your leadership. And we just talked about growing in your leadership. But if you want to grow your business, probably need some leads to be able to do that. You know that you need to have a presence online. You know, you've heard about SEO, pay-per-clicks. Maybe you've even worked with a company in the past, but you've not seen the investment. Look, reach out, go to directclicksinc.com, directclicksinc.com. Reach out to somebody with direct clicks and they can talk to you about your business and get to know you. They really are all about trust and transparency, which I think is perfect metaphor to what we just talked about today. They're going to be honest with you. They're going to see you as a person, not just as a number. So reach out to one of the partners at Direct Clicks and they'll sit down and talk to you about what your goals are and how they may be able to help. It doesn't cost you anything to do that. Maybe you've, again, played around the SEO space in the past. It just gets overwhelming. You don't feel like you're getting your investment. Well, part of it is because the company you've worked with maybe is not as transparent as you would want them to be. So you don't know where that several hundred dollars a month is going to. And so you want your marketing dollars to get a return on investment and direct clicks, really their trust and transparency, I think is second class. We talk about them, obviously every podcast, we're appreciative of their sponsorship, but it's because of the quality of people that they have there. Chris, it was great to have you on the podcast. Bradley, good to be back, sir. Until next episode, lead well. And stay classy.